Welcome back to Unleashed at Work at Home. I'm Colleen Pilar, and I'm joined today by Dr. Lori Schultz, who is a veterinarian who specializes in behavior work in Ohio. So I wanted to talk to her today about listening and understanding what someone else is saying to us, because, of course, our animals don't speak to us with words, but they're communicating all the time. And with humans, sometimes our language gets in the way. So we want to talk a little bit about listening today. Welcome, Lori. Can you tell us a little bit about what got you interested in behavior work with animals? Um, honestly, when I was little, I was always fascinated with, um, dolphins and thinking I wanted to be a dolphin trainer, you know, but when you're five, those kind of, you know, so I, I think I've always been interested in behavior. Um, then as I got into veterinary medicine, um, finding working through my career, you know, I had a situation, I just started seeing people were having problems with their pets, with behavior concerns were just as much at risk for losing their home or relinquishment. So, and their relationship, you know, the, you know, if the dog was stressed at the office, I was trying to figure out what ways, you know, we could do to help them. So I just kind of got drawn, um, and behavior when I was going through veterinary school, um, wasn't as, um, it's more, it's kind of grown. I've kind of grown with it. Uh, so we didn't have classes on behavior. I had mm-hmm. one elective my senior year. So a lot of my education I got through professionally, but outside, you know, veterinary conferences. And the more I learned, the more I realized, especially on the, one of the topics we're going to talk today, is things I didn't know about basic body language because I wasn't taught. Right. That once I learned, my eyes just opened up to, oh my gosh, these animals are, you know, they're, they're not mad or, or, well, they're not angry at me. They're not trying to hurt me personally. They're terrified or they're afraid. So it just totally changed my perception. And also I started seeing, oh my gosh, if I didn't know this, my owners don't know this either. And I'll finding that I, I want to, um, help, you know, protect the bond between people because if there's a behavior problem, they're just at much at risk for losing their home or, dying from the behavior problem through euthanasia, just as if they had parvo or right. um, cancer or, you know, and so I wanted, you wanted to figure out ways to make as a veterinarian practice better so that my patients, when I worked with them, they were as comfortable as they could be in that situation. Um, and then also helping my owners um, and their pets have a better relationship as well as realizing there's anxieties that there's all kinds of mm-hmm. um, things that, you know, that training, you know, that they have a medical um, pathology with their anxiety to help those, those pets that have that as well. Yeah. Sorry, that was kind of a long. (laughs) No, that that's absolutely it. And, and one of the things that you said in there really resonated with me because it was the experience I had too, which was when I was taught some of this information about body language and behavior, it really opened my eyes. And because I was taught, you know, that some of it's not intuitive. And yet once your eyes are opened, you can't unsee. Like once you start recognizing and understanding the meaning of things, you have a whole different view of the world and it changes your perspective on so many things, which then changes the stories we tell about it. You know, the dogs aren't spiteful and angry and manipulative. Oh, they're frightened and anxious and, you know, like all of these pieces. But we don't do a great job of, of teaching that information as a culture. You know, dogs are happy and easygoing. Everyone knows that. Mm. Mm. <laughs> Not always. <laughs> 
So, so that idea of really understanding what your animal is communicating to you requires some attention and, and active listening, not so much with your ears, but, but whole, whole body listening, you know, all attention onto what is trying to be said in this situation. So can you tell me about a situation in which you had a client who, whose dog was very clearly to you saying one thing and that the owner really couldn't see it until you kind of helped open their eyes? Yeah. Um, a lot. I mean, this is pretty common, but um, one client I had had a new pet that they had adopted um, and they were very, you know, they wanted to, and it was a small, a small pet. And so it was easy to, you know, physically manipulate um, or go after. Um, so they thought, and the dog, so this is what's interesting. The dog does like to be near them. The mm-hmm. dog just really doesn't like to be touched. Right. If that makes sense. Like he, oh, that makes sense. He's not sense. a dog, a lot of touching. So even, you know, and, and there was a couple times that the dog had um, snapped at them. Uh, one time bit broke skin. One time did not because I think because the, the dog had snapped, had bitten, um, the, the owner was a little more like, ooh, maybe I need to be a little more cautious. But they would reach over and the dog is like, the, the, he's low to the ground. His eyes are as wide as they can be. He's turning away. He's under a table. And the person is still approaching. Mm-hmm. And I'm saying, ooh, I think, you know, and so I started intervening. And I'm, you know, because I didn't want the person to be hurt, obviously, when I was in the appointment. But even when I was there talking to them about body language, they still at the beginning, couldn't see it. Right. But after we were done, then they were kind of like, oh, okay. And they started changing. Like, I'm like, okay, don't reach over. Wait till he comes to you. Reach under. If he's under something, he's saying he does, he's saying no thank you. And even talking to them, like when I was tossing him treats, he would take food from me. But Mm -hmm. I never touched him. Mm -hmm. Because... And I explained to them, he's okay with being near me, but he's still not okay with me touching him. Right. Um, so after a little while, we, I was going to try, because he did start approaching me and he was eating freely. Um, and we were going to try to see if I could do um, a physical exam. But I'm in their home. He had seen his primary care veterinarian. So it wasn't, it, I mean, and I can look visually and see a lot of things, but I wanted to listen to his heart. There was no, like, and I was talking him through, okay, he's leaning away, his eyes, he won't, he stopped eating. This isn't worth doing this because I knew he had bit in the past. And of course I don't want to be bit. And I'm like, <laughs> see, he's not comfortable. And this isn't an emergency. We don't need to finish this part of the appointment. You know, we can work on that later. Cause he has some issues with going to the primary care veterinarian, but then we talked about things we could use medication and stuff to help that. But it was when I first was there, but the good news was I'm sitting there thinking, okay, this dog has bitten them or had two bites because I still count, even if they don't break skin, to me, if teeth go on skin, that's a bite. I agree. Because I think people dance around. Mm -hmm. um, So that means that could happen. Um, So I thought, but I thought, oh my gosh, this dog, like he, he didn't bite, obviously. He did not bite during the appointment, but he was showing signs. I'm like, oh, this dog shows so much 
that they can avoid this. Like mm-hmm. they had to really have pushed him and they did, you know, not that they were doing, they just with their physical space and invading their space right. when it happened was they were trying to put on his collar and they went right towards his face. Right. And that's the time. And he was under something and they went after him. So we talked about, you know, different approaches for that. But there was a case where if I wouldn't have been able to educate them about that, they would have they would have gotten in more trouble because they would have continued to not see it. But the right. good news was this dog, not all dogs, but it, it, this dog was very clear to me what he didn't want. And he was very tolerant of them. And when I was, t- was talking to them, you know, with other people and he, you know, then now when people come to visit, it's a much better situation because they have rules. You know, this is when this dog is telling you he wants attention and, or he wants you to physically touch him. And this is when he doesn't. Mm-hmm. And the problem with him is he's very cute and small and he's cool. And his, I don't want to say his name, but he has a, like his name, like it's a dog that, it's hard for someone not to go right pick up. And I right. think that we get, I think a lot of small dogs get in that trouble and they're like, Oh, dogs love me. And then they mm-hmm. come up to him and they, and then he's not happy because they're frightening him with how right. they're doing things. Plus, you know, the way we approach dogs in general, everyone comes at them straight on and puts their hand right, right out. And if someone did, if I walked straight up to you mm-hmm. and grabbed your face and I'd never met you before, even if I even know you, you'd be like, what are you doing, Lori? Yeah. <laughs> but people just, I didn't know those things either before. So I would have done the same, probably would have done the same stuff because culturally that's what you do when you greet a dog, or at least right. that's what we're taught. So that was a case where, you know, and then I had another case where I did the same thing. It was a, it was a young puppy and by showing them, cause I take, you know, showing them the body language, um, the pictures and I send videos helping them see, you know, this puppy was very fearful and they were also do, and they were, you know, approaching the dog and they weren't respecting, expecting the children. Like the dog was under the table, the kids were right in its face, you know, and then that's when a bite happened. Fortunately, it wasn't something that, um, caused any injury, but it was very clear that this dog wasn't okay with his body language. And then after teaching them, you know, they changed how they were approaching. And the dog is, you know, things, the, the puppy was saved in his, you know, he's still, he's in his home. Their their last report is things are doing great. I mean, he, there was an astute veterinarian that he was working with that, you know, saw and heard some issues at the first puppy exam and then recommended that they come, you know, come see someone to help a veterinarian. Uh, that works with behavior to to help them to make sure, you know, just to look at the situation and and you know it was it was simple things that you know that they didn't realize you know that being able to tell them and and watch and see in their environment how they interacted and looked at the place and look at the home, you know I could see okay well here's the spot where he goes so you know you make um, a kid free zone or so I was talking to someone, uh, we started calling it, or Julie, um, Smith, an mm-hmm. alone zone. Mm-hmm. Instead of sometimes if you say kid free, that might sound kind of right. not so nice to the kid. But if you're like, you know, this puppy's in his alone zone right now. So we're going to give him a, when he's there, that's alone zone. He's saying, I want to be alone. Right. Right. And they can still want to be with you, but not want to be 
restrained right. or touched. Anyway, sorry, I went off on a tangent. No, it's all behavior, and that that's what we talk about here. So let's turn it now to people. So from the idea of that we want to interact with, with others in the way they want to be interacted with, and the I, the concept of one thing that's very interesting to me about body language and behavior is that it's all driven by the limbic system. So how we're feeling inside affects how we present ourselves outside. <laughs> and so we're not thinking, I feel afraid, so I will make myself smaller and turn away. Um, but when we do, we do. So those pieces drive it. So at work, from the perspective of really understanding each other, what are what are some of your tips for for really being able to do this between people? I'm better with animals. <laughs> <laughs> Aren't we all? Um, so tips. I, I guess I try. I don't, you know, I'm not as good at, with people, even though you kind of sort of have to be to do it. I do it. I've learned, um, you know, to kind of try to pay attention to what I'm seeing with the person. If I say a word or I say something and I see their body stiffen, um, or they cross their arms. I try to watch. So I go, Ooh, okay. Mm-hmm. I've gone somewhere that I need to be aware of. And then, um, I stop. So I try to pay attention to what, when I'm talking about something, the body language of the person and look at what they're doing. Um, or sometimes I'll, if I feel like there's something, you know, to try to say things like, you know, well, after I give a recommendation or I'll say, you know, how does that make you feel? Or are you okay with that? Or would you be willing so that there is an opportunity for them to express whatever they're feeling and listen um, to what they have to say. So I guess my tips would be, you know, look, try to be aware of what people, when you're talking to them, their body language, looking for them stiffening up or if I start to see and I don't even know how to explain this but if I start to see I'm going down an emotional thing like I really listen for um things when if they start going onto something personal which will happen when I go Mm -hmm. into home consult then I then I try to be very aware of this like because sometimes you know I have to talk about hard things right especially when you're talking about aggression cases you know do I talk about you know, is this person going to shut down if, um, you know, is this, this might not be the point to talk about. Maybe I'll never bring up that that dog leaves the home um, in that moment because I'm listening for them. For example, I mean, and there was, or even like medication. Um, I was with a client and we were talking about patient um, to manage the situation if the behavior modification doesn't work because it can help us. And how do you feel about that? And she quickly was like, Oh, that's wrong. And I wouldn't do that to my child. Like, so I listened to what she was saying and went, okay, I'm not, that's off the table. That doesn't mean I wouldn't have ever brought it up later. But at that moment, that was not a time to talk to her about that. Cause she's thinking I wouldn't make my child. How dare you bring up medication about my dog? Mm -hmm. If I would have kept trying to be like, Oh, but medicine is you know, that's the only thing that we can do. Or like at that moment, she would have shut down. She would have heard, even if I gave her all my best arguments for right. why this would be, she would not have heard it in that moment. 
if that makes sense. That makes total sense. It's a tricky spot, isn't it? That that balancing yeah. act because you want to be able to continue the conversation. And when people feel like we're refuting them and bumping up against them, right. they're not listening anymore. Um, right. So so it is it is challenging, I think, cuz it's always balancing as you go along. Is this a good time? Is this not a good time? Where can we go with this? And people have so much going on inside their heads. We don't know what all the contexts are. You know, so when she's saying, I would never use medication, I would never use it even for my child, but you know, definitely not going to be doing this. There's a whole family history behind her of other yep. experiences that we don't know. We right. don't know what happened that makes her feel so passionately about this for a tool that you know has worked very well for many, many, many dogs and possibly hers in the future. Yeah. <laughs> and the other thing that I have also learned is to try to tell people, I really try as far as my listening to show, I mean, I truly, when I talk to my clients or even anyone, I'm like, I want to know what's going on. So there's no judgment, mm -hmm. but I'm very conscious when I'm listening that they, that I don't reflect that I want them to feel comfortable in sharing everything because if they feel like they're going to be judged and not listen, like I want to present, I'm here to listen to you yes. without judgment because I want them to be able to tell me everything because it gives me a perspective from where they're coming from. And it helps me help them and their pet. If I, if I don't know what was happening really when the dog did the thing they didn't like, you know, and they're doing things I'm not aware of, it's not that I'm going to judge them, but I can say, okay, instead of a, you know, instead of doing this, when he does that, we can do B, mm -hmm. but there's no judgment. So I would say, you know, another tip for people is when you're trying to, when you're try having difficult conversations, um, to really try to, even if someone says something that pulls emotion in you to try very hard not to react yeah. to it. Like, Oh my God, I can't believe that happened. Or, <laughs> That's the worst I mean, idea. We can't yeah. do that. Right. Well, I mean, but I mean, even just taking it, I mean, that's something I, you know, I'd really try to work on because it's sometimes people say things you're like, I don't, I didn't expect that, mm -hmm. but it's just to try to, to stay calm. I don't know if that helps with listening, but I really try to help. I think it does. People know they don't, that it's, that they can freely tell me, you know, mm -hmm. whatever's going on. I know life. I mean, I'm a mom with three kids. Um, I try to do my best every day, um, you know, with positive re reinforcement, even with them. But I know, you know, I get that sometimes you lose your temper. We're mm -hmm. human. I mean, no one's perfect. Right. Um, you know, so I want my clients to know that, you know, I want I need to know and want to know everything that's going on and, and answer honestly and know I'm not, you know, you're not going to be judged because I get it, you know, and it, it'll help me help you yes. and your pet. Have you read Risa Van Fleet's The Human Half of Dog Training? I have not, but I need to. <laughs> it's 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 all of the things you just said, so maybe you don't need to. Um, it's very interesting because it's about tackling conversations in a, in ways that don't make the other person feel defensive and opening things up so that we can all move toward the shared goal of making situations better. And I think that there's a lot of stuff that can be really helpful for people at work in yeah. work conversations, because again, right. a question like, you know, why didn't you do the blood draw is more likely uh -huh. to make somebody crazy than, right. than um, why it seems like a lot's going on today. Mm -hmm. um, 
what, you know, what, what things can I help with? You know, where's things going wrong? And it's an interesting challenge for us to be aware of how we affect other people with some of the questions we ask and the body language we use when we're asking them. And we want people to feel open to tell us everything that's going on. Right. And I also have found that through learning, I don't know if your listeners will, but the more I learned about canine body language and communication, the more I'm like, it doesn't matter if you're a dog or a cat or a horse or a pig. We all can benefit from these concepts. Yes. So it's maybe I'm even getting more interested in the human side of communication. Um, I want to learn more there so that I can be a better um, consultant and coach mm-hmm. or, you, you know, for my clients because I need to help them and we need to be a team. And if I am not able to communicate with them or, or um, you know, they're, it's not going to work. They're not going to follow up. Um, and, you know, it also helps yourself, you know, it's a behavior is hard work because you were de- oh, a lot yeah. of times we're dealing with some hard stuff. Um, you know, and there are some things I can't control, but I just want to know that I've done my best job to help them because like you said, there's a whole backstory that I may not know and it may not have nothing, anything to do with me. It's just where they are in their life and all the other things that are going on. And this is something they just can't, they can't do. Um, but I do think, you know, if the more people look at their pets and learn about, you know, canine feeling communication, they can also, I'm not saying you go around and train your husband or your, your children, but it's still the same thing. Oh, absolutely. That's why I do what I do now. I mean, I started as a dog trainer and then I started realizing, oh, if I want to change this dog's behavior, I need to change these humans' behavior. Right. Oh, I better learn how to deal with people. (laughs) Oh, so it was really interesting that it's become this completely obvious progression when I look back on it. But at the time, all of the pieces were a little bit of a surprise. Oh, I need to learn how to have conversations more tactfully. I need to Mm -hmm. learn how to identify what the underlying issues are that they're not saying. I need to Mm -hmm. recognize that there is an issue that they're not saying. Um, And so it's all these fascinating, fascinating behavior pieces because I'm a behavior nerd. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and listening, and another thing will be interesting to me is when I, if I have a couple, you know, if there's a couple oh, yeah. in the household, and listening, and, and it, that's why it's important. I can sometimes, you can tell two people are on two opposite pages, mm-hmm. and that's really hard. That's that's not a go- very good sign for me in helping the dog if yeah the, the people are on two different two different things. Right. Um, but it's important to know that because then you're like, okay. It's very important. I have a bigger challenge. And I would think even in the work environment, if you, you know, if you got two people on two opposite pages, you've got to say, okay, what common ground? What, mm-hmm. What's a deal breaker for you? What's a deal breaker for you? What is our common goal? And figure out a way to move towards the common goal, whatever that might be. Yes. Um, so I think that would be another tip is if you're, you know, you're in a situation at work where, you know, you have a problem going on between people to try to figure out, okay, what do we all agree on? Mm-hmm. We all want, I don't know, the appointments to go more efficient. Okay. What are your ideas? What are your ideas? You know, and help r- focus on a common goal instead of, well, she does this or he does that. Yes. You know, and, you know, I think, and I think, okay, this, I'm, 
those two people probably will feel better if they feel heard. Mm-hmm. Like if they really get a chance to feel heard and let them say what they need to say. Yes. And then it might be easier to find that compromise or that common goal. And they're like, okay, maybe, you know, I can do this better and she can do that better. And we all end up, we all end up with, you know, appointments move faster, but everyone gets taken care of. Or maybe as, you know, I'm not in a clinic right now. I mean, I've been in the past where I have multiple people, you know, but then as the supervisor or the boss, maybe if you don't listen to, if you don't listen to both people and help work to the common goal, you might not be aware. Oh, gee, Susie has, I'm expecting her to do 10 things. She can't possibly do that. So we need to help her here. Mm-hmm. It's not that Susie, what we do to our dogs, not Susie's bad or lazy. She, where people, oh, she just needs to work faster. If you don't sit there and ask right. and hear from Susie, you don't know what to do to help everyone go to the common goal. Yes. Which would be maybe, okay, we get through appointments faster, but everything still gets done. Um, you know, and that still helps because clients don't want to, or the dog doesn't want to sit there all day. Right. <laughs> either. So it helps everybody. It does help um, everybody. And, and really giving people the chance to say everything that's on their mind before we leap in with the, well, here's what we really need to do kind right. of thing. Because we're, we're prone to giving advice before we've actually heard people out. Yes. And it's usually better to not even give the advice, but to get the people to come up yes. with the advice on their own. To ask questions that lead them to come up with a, right. a suggestion or a solution that would work for them. And then they have mm-hmm. ownership of it. And we're like, yeah, that's great. And, and what about maybe this little piece added on top? What do you think? Yep. <laughs> and that's something I'm, you know, trying to do more of too. Um, even, you know, help, I don't, I don't want to be, to help people, like you said, I mean, and you even think about with their animals, control, like to feel like you have control mm-hmm. of something is reinforcing. It makes a person feel yes. better. You know, so if someone thinks, ooh, I solved this problem on my own versus I had to have someone tell me what to do. Yes. Um, that you're going to get, and you're always going to have better feeling, I would think, between the person that was getting the advice if they feel like they're asking for it versus being told you need to do this or you need to do that. Right. Yeah. It's an interesting piece of how having a sense of control really affects happiness levels. And we see that in animals all the time. Yes. And and that goes to, but we don't think, yeah, giving them a choice in the matter Mm -hmm. um, helps a lot. And it plays out big at work, too. Like, if you feel like, here are the things that need to get done, but I can choose how they get done or when they get done or what the order is or, you know, then people feel better about it rather than when they're feeling like someone telling me all the time. And it's hard, but it's hard to do. Like, as a mom, um, I have a daughter (laughs) that's getting ready. Oh, my first to go to college. And it's very hard to not be like, you have to do this. You have Mm -hmm. to do that. You have to do this. Um, And I'm trying really hard to be more like, for example, there's something she needs to do this before a certain a date. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, my, why don't you put it in your calendar to remind you? Cause I know because for her and for all of us, if a date is far away, it's like, ah, I got plenty of time yeah. to do it. So then she, I brought it up again. She's like, okay, I'm going to do it this weekend. So then I walked in there and I was like, okay, are, are you ready to write are you ready to do what you're supposed to do? And she got, I told you I would do it 
you know, I'll do mm-hmm. it Sunday. And I had to stop and go, okay. And I just went, you know what? You got this. I just was, I was just giving you a friendly reminder. Um, cause I know I'm not gonna be able to do that soon, mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's still the point of, she does need to take ownership. She does need to learn how to manage. So I'm trying to think, okay, I'll step back and be more of a coach yeah, and say, here's a suggestion. This is what helps me when I have to manage. I showed her, <laughs> I showed her my calendar of all of their stuff and my stuff. And mm-hmm. I'm like, you, this is what I use because I couldn't do this without right. my calendar. I couldn't know. And I'm like, and you're right now, you know, you're going to start having papers and things you're wanted going to do. And I'm like, I have my lunch written down. I have things I'm doing socially. So that if someone asks me to do something and if I see 20 different colored dots on my Google calendar, I'm like <laughs> next week, but you know, but I can't make her, but so I'm trying to do the same thing um, yeah. with them and, and trying, hopefully I'll be able to do that with the clients. And um, even with our pet, you know, animals as we're doing with cooperative care, you know, like teaching them a skill. There's a lot of it with the chin rest or, mm-hmm. you know, or holding their paw or whatever. So that if they can't do it in the moment, then you know that what you're asking is too much mm-hmm. in the exam. So like if, you train your dog to put his chin on your lap as the vet's doing the exam and he goes to do something or she goes to do something and the dog removes it. That doesn't mean that's the dog telling you, okay, something about that is too much. It's not the dog being bad. Right. So, um, but I think that helps dogs have a choice because if they're like, okay, that's too much. Then as the veterinarian, you could be like, okay, can I change something about what I'm doing? Can we add a different food? Can I do something? Or is it time for chemical restraint, which there's no meaning, you know, I got to do something mm-hmm. that this dog can't tolerate. So I'm not going to put four people to hold him down while I force right. him through it. Then you're like, okay, he's telling me this is too much. We've tried X, Y, and Z. Okay. You know, owners, how, how do you think about, what do you think about, you know, some chemical restraints so we can get this final thing done and he won't be the wiser. Quick mm-hmm. injection, sleep, you go, get it done, wake up and you go home. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I do think giving animals choices and exams will would be helpful too for them. Yeah. We all like choices. I mean, it, it matters so much of whether or not we feel like we have any control in a situation that that hugely affects happiness levels and cooperation levels. So this has been a really interesting discussion of of really being in tune with those that we're interacting with. And it's not always easy because we have a million thoughts going on in our heads too. So we're saying and thinking and doing things that they have no idea about. And the same is happening in reverse. And we're all trying to meet in the middle and have a shared understanding of what actually occurred. Not not always as easy as we'd think. Um, Okay. So one of the questions I really love to ask is, is a perspective question. Again, you have a Labrador, well, a Lab Golden Mix named Wessler. How would Wessler describe you if he could use words? If he could use words? Oh, geez. How would he describe me? Hmm. I think he would describe me as an intermittent treat dispenser. (laughs) Um, Busy. Um... I don't know. How would you describe me? (laughs) I hope you would describe me as fun. Um, Sometimes 
uh, I, I would say you'd say I would be loyal, um, concerned uh, about others. Mm-hmm. Um, expects a lot. <laughs> expects a lot. Um, forgiving. And I hope he would think I would be fun. So that, and I bring in toy and toys. <laughs> it sounds like a great description for a coworker in most cases. <laughs> Someone who's busy, loyal, concerned about others, expects a lot, and is forgiving and fun. I mean, <laughs> that, I would like to work with people like that um, because it is a matter of balancing, you know, expectations. We're going to get good stuff done, but we're going to have fun doing it. And it should be well done. So I think I think he's described a very nice coworker for the world. And if we could all just try to be as good as Wessler thinks you are, that would be good for us. <laughs> so could you tell our listeners how they could reach you and learn more about your business? Okay. Um, they can go to my website, which is www.protectthebond.com. They could also search me on Facebook um, it's Lori Schulze, S-C-H-U-L-Z-E, and then the comment DVM. And they can go there and find ways to um, message or, you know, a phone number if they're, obviously, if they're in the Columbus area, you know, if they're interested in a consult. Um, or if they have a question, concern, that's And I apologize. I just realized I mispronounced your last name. I said Schulze as opposed to Schulze. It happens all the time. I just, I, I'm sure I it does. <laughs> But I try not to do it. I should That's have okay. My apologies. So no thanks so much for joining us today. I really appreciate that. Um, thanks for having me. It was fun. So anyone listening, if you thought this was a useful conversation that could help you at work, could you please share this with any of your friends who are animal care professionals? Just passing the word around about behavior and how we can all be better at work can really change the world. <laughs>